and welcome to the Comedians Paradise. Sorry that I haven't been around for a bit. I'm Marvin, being that the cool guy I am. I've been going to Dubai. I've been going to Afghanistan. No, no, I haven't been going to Afghanistan. What a stupid thing to say. I've been going to Dubai. I've been going to Italy. No, I've been taking a little break, just money things over. And I just thought I'm going to come in with the first guest being an absolute banger to surprise you guys. Now, today's guest is an absolute how could i call him he's a sigma male i thought you said i'm a sick male i'd go with that okay fine he's a sick sigma male like he's cool his name is donald mackerel he Hello. plays comedy as himself he has a secret job that i cannot talk about he plays mr badger which is a program that i used to watch as a child called bodger and badger now he he also plays the penguin like the real batman super villain penguin so do not mess with donald mackerel he also runs four comedy shows across the country so there's nothing he can't do please welcome the stage the amazing the adventurous the true sigma and maverick of comedy donald mackerel that was a lovely intro. I like that you've classed me as adventurous. <clears throat> and as soon as you said you've been to Dubai, I was like, oh, God, I've never really been out of the UK. Like, real's too much for me. So, uh, yeah. I, you know what? I do feel that I've... Yeah, I, me too. I feel I've not ventured enough as well. I've never been to Dubai. I was just joking, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were like some sort of weird covert agent then. You seem to be going to all the places where there's been a lot of racist outbursts recently. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. <laughs> and I'm an Asian guy. What's going on? This is it, man. I'm, well, I, I think you're the right kind of race for Dubai to let you in. It's it's a... Uh... It's a lot of the other ones where they went, yeah, they can die whilst building our stadiums. We don't care about them. <laughs> oh, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's funny with all the things going. I watched a little documentary of Piers Morgan and um, talking about like how a lot of the Arabian states are trying to take over sports, that like they get big boxing shows. They yeah, get, man. Yeah, the World Cup, Man City, you've got Newcastle, you've got all these different things. And they're saying, you know, People are complaining about human rights, but, you know, they're spending a lot of money and they're investing in things. And also, one of the points that was raised in the Piers Morgan thing is, do we really have a foot to stand on considering our past? No, but, not at all. No, we don't. We're not even just our past. Now, I don't know. I, I, I live in a rural area. I live in a farming community. And even after Brexit, the vast majority of farm workers are... And again, you're not meant to use the word anymore. They're immigrants. They are people that have come to this country, whether legally or illegally, and the farmers take advantage of it and pay them sub-minimum wage to basically toil in fields all day long because we don't want to do it. So there's still slavery going on. And we're there going, yeah, but these nasty foreigners, they're, they're the real baddies. Yeah, we should be doing it. You know, they're saying about foreigners, you do the bloody jobs that you don't want to do. And I exactly. <laughs> A funny thing with hospitality is that because of Brexit, quite a lot of people that used to do the work in hospitality have gone back. So now there's so much work within hospitality. Yeah, well, and it sounds daft. Truck driving, you've got, they're like, oh, nobody wants to be a truck driver anymore. Yeah, because you're paying people the same wage they can earn at Tesco sitting on a till. It's, your old truck drivers all used to be Eastern European and you've sent them back. <laughs> 
Yeah. What, oh, and that's that's a funny thing with one of the things that goes on in comedy that I spoke with Steve Best is that he said mm. with the big clubs, so many people want to go into them that they can get away with not paying peanuts and they can pay whatever because people still yeah. want to go into them. And one of the things that sometimes goes on with smaller clubs like myself or other places that people try and push us for more money because they know they got more leeway. But if you really want to bring change, you've got to like, it's like the poo, a guest on a podcast called, um, what's the name again? She runs Comedy Works. Her name is, um, how could I fucking forget her name? That's stupid. Come on. Uh, <laughs> Maybe. You can Google Wendy, man. Wendy, not... Wendy Curtis. Wendy Curtis. Wendy Curtis. And sorry, Wendy, if you're listening. Uh, uh, I can't wait until like two more podcast time when I'm being referred to as like, Mr. Rat or something. Like that. <laughs> sorry. But she 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 says the poo rose downhill. So if you're a jerk at the top, then it makes other people do the same. Yeah. And the thing is People complain about there's not much money in comedy. If you really want to push for more money in comedy, you've got to start at the top. Yeah. Well, again, you've just said about uh, people are desperate to play these big clubs. It's the one thing I don't do. It's, unless you're willing to pay me, I'm not going to play. Like, um, uh, I, I, I keep on getting offered um, like big clubs that go, oh, we really love your act. We really, we really want to see your act. Uh, just come and do 15 minutes for us. And I'll say, yeah, sure. You know, what's the fee? And they go, oh, well, it's just a trial. And you say, well, what, what's there for me if I do well at the trial? Oh, well, we can book you in for another spot. What would the next spot be? Oh, it'll be a 20-minute trial. You say, well, how does that benefit me as an act? You know, you're meant to be a big club. You're charging people to come into your big club. This is meant to be my prize. Like, oh, I've done really well. I get to gig for you. So pay me. So I'd rather go and gig for eight people in a fucking horse shed in the middle of nowhere but at least I've gotten a fee and the people are getting value for their money rather than, oh, this this guy, we're, we're just going to treat him as a slave and then as soon as he wants money, we'll move on to the next person who's willing to gig for free. Ah, is that... Yeah, I heard that's a thing that sometimes goes on in clubs, that some of the... They're moving on to newer people to, who are going to... Yeah. Uh, you'll also get people who will say, um, I don't know, I, again, like... I, £20 middle spot on a weekend, and they'll say, must be playing big clubs. You go, well, if they're already playing big clubs, why would they be willing to demote themselves to a £20 spot on your lineup? It doesn't make sense, so no. Pay your acts fairly. There's a... Oh, that's a... Yeah, that's... One of the things I also saw in India as well, they've pushed it where there's a big club where they charge people £200 to do a spot. And it gets filmed there, so it's it's it is. I don't. I think there's a bit of me that says, well, "How desperate are these performers?" Like you, you will get people that just need to be on stage. They need to have people staring at them. And nine times out of ten, they're not the funniest either. But mine is just if we could get rid of these people or get these people to just sort of go, you know, look, you're actually not that good. Just stick to your open mic nights. It'd make comedy a safer place for everybody else, everybody who's quite funny. It's one of the things, I think, I mean, even the people that, on the podcast that don't like me or whatever, I think, <laughs> no, no, I, I think with a lot of things you're doing, it, the, a lot of, some of the people that w will watch the most are the people that don't like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but 
I have. Um, mate. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I've got quite a few people that don't like me, but mainly for exactly these beliefs, which is I think comedians should be paid fairly. And then you get comedians turning around going, shut up. <laughs> I'm trying to help everybody here, you moron. Yeah, it's... Uh... I think with a lot of things, you've got to build your own things up and yeah. treat, use the big clubs as a things to test your stuff against people that are really well and learn from them. But don't use it as your main source of income or main sort of yeah. validation if you're doing comedy. you just got to build your own things up now. Yeah, yeah. Well, now, as, as you've just said, like now is the time where you don't need the big people. You can be an overnight success just by having a little bit of a viral TikTok or something. Yeah, it's that. That's that's how it has to be now. Because I've seen it on the circuit. Like some of the people that get a bit little, a bit higher up, they're very insecure and they're very damaged. So the only way for them to feel good about themselves is to try and pick on other people that are a bit lower than because they're so damaged that they, they, all their validation comes from the circuit, not from yeah. anything else. Uh, I find that the the whole coronavirus thing was. Oh man, I, and again, I might get grief for this. Coronavirus was lovely in that you had acts that all they'd done their entire life was gig. And you go, that's that's fair enough. That's that's your job, whatever. But the second coronavirus hit, and they'd been lauding it over open spots. So like, you know, the whole, oh, you guys are crap. You need to get off the circuit. As soon as coronavirus hit, you could just see them going, what am I going to do? I can't gig. I can't get any money. And then people are going, well, go and work at Tesco's, you know, go and get a delivery job somewhere. And it's that I'm not lowering myself to that. And then one week later, I can't pay my rent. Like, how crap was your life that you were on the breadline? You know, you're lording it around like you are some big TV star. And the second you've not worked for a week, you can't afford rent and you're still not willing to work at Tesco's. So, yeah, I think with uh, a lot of it, there was no sympathy to these people, especially when that was, again, the age where just diversify, go online, do something else. And they weren't willing to do it because they just needed to be the star in front of you know, 500 people at a theatre somewhere. Yeah, it's yeah, it's not a bad thing to do a job on the side. You don't want to be yeah. bloody, bloody homeless. Well, I, I, I once got grief off somebody for having a full-time job where they said, you're not even a pro comedian. And I found out the reason why they were a pro comedian, i.e. that was all they did, was because they lived in a flat with eight other people and did medical tests for money. <laughs> I'd rather have a job, a stable job, than have someone injecting me with something where, I don't know, an arm might mutate out the front of your face or something. Oh, uh, so yeah. A drug dealer. No. <laughs> yeah, quite well, the opposite of a drug dealer. They would just go into labs and go in, I don't care what it is, stick it in me and give me a hundred quid. They're, they're, they're a drug prostitute, I would say. Oh, so they're the old, oh, they, they make the money through the bloody trials. Oh, God. Yeah. So that's what I mean. They, they were saying that they were a pro and I wasn't. And to me, it, there is such a thing as pro comedy. A pro comedian is somebody that gets all of their income from just doing comedy. And if you can do that, especially in this modern market, fair play to you, like, hats off. But then you get people go, oh, I'm semi-pro. You know, oh, I'm edging into pro work. No, you're not. You're either part-time, like amateur, or you're a pro. And, yeah, th this was a person that was trying to badmouth me, saying that, oh, you're just an amateur. You'll understand when you become a pro like me. It's, Fuck off. <laughs> I own my own house. I'm quite comfortable. Thank you. Yeah. I, I don't... At what cost? Yeah. I don't want to bloody do that. God.
No. Yeah, I'm not damaging my health for some bloody. Oh well. <laughs> but you'll be able to say you're a pro. You can approach people and go like, "I'm a pro." I, I may be wheezing like a ninety-year-old asthmatic, but I'm a pro. <laughs> Is he wheezing? <laughs> that one of one of the so, a little less serious. Uh, what what um what got you into comedy and how did you become a comedian and what led to the creation of the two characters and how do you balance yeah. the three so uh what got me into comedy was i'd always wanted to be a comedian i think it must be a popular answer for yourself always wanted to be a comedian um and i hit a particularly dark point where a 10 and a half year relationship had ended and i had a massive mental breakdown and i just happened to be in a pub and on a beer mat, they said, like, oh, we're doing a comedy night. If anybody would like to sign up, write your name on the beer mat and put them in this bin at the end of the night. And like a drunken idiot, I'd done it. So that was it. That was my comedy career started. But to be fair, it was something I'd always wanted to do. So I, I thank my drunken, depressed self for doing that. Um, and the, the only reason why I started making characters was my comedy was quite dark. And I think when you start off, you should just stick to safe stuff because you haven't really built up um, a following yet for people to go, oh, he's not being serious. These are just jokes. Um, and a lot of the stuff I was doing, I was getting grumbles off the other acts. So the one day I just dressed up as a badger and apparently that's okay. You can you can say what you want when you're a badger. The rest of the people go, oh, this is obviously an act. This is obviously a joke. This isn't a real person. So, yeah, I think you you get more, you get more past... Not the, the audience don't mind. You get more past the other acts when you're uh, yeah. a bit obscene. How, how do you balance it? So, so when you're doing a show, like you're taking breaks in between the acts, how do you do? You get changed on stage, or do you just take guys wait five minutes? If if there's somewhere to get changed, brilliant. Even if it's a little cupboard or a toilet. But yeah, I, I have been known to get changed in the street before. Uh, and all I do, I've got like a little musical vignette that plays between the acts. Or if if I'm gigging at a friend's venue, they're obviously the MC, So they're, they're thanking the crowd for the first act. They'll say like, you know, oh, uh, is everybody ready for the second act? And it takes me two to three minutes to get changed to each act. So it's not too hard. Hmm. That's how, how, how do you balance the performance styles of them? Because like, how do you get it right with that? Um, well, that, that's the main thing is so like obviously Donald Backrell is just like what you've seen now. It's just your normal, normal sort of fella just chatting. Uh, the penguin is very deadpan, uh, bad, but doesn't realize he's bad sort of comedian. But that's the whole gist of it. And Mr. Badge is just completely bloody insane, uh, very energetic, very weird. But that, that's the thing is, I it's good that I get to compile compartmentalize my comedy into three different groups so uh yeah it's quite easy really it's it, it's a nice it's a nice way as well of people go to a comedy night and they might not like one act but they might 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 like another so it's lovely that i can put on a night where somebody doesn't like me but they like the penguin or they like mr badger and yeah ah i see yeah yeah it's funny isn't it what, what... And what um, so, and what led to you become like a master of all, all of a comedy promoter as well? And you got a full time job. Desperation. 
Uh, I I live, as I say, in the sticks in the middle of the countryside. There's not much around here. So if I want to do, even if I wanted to go and do an open spot somewhere, uh, it'd be an hour away. So, yeah, I just I went, oh, fuck it. I'll just put my own nights on then. So I started running my own nights and they've taken off really because, again, there's no comedy in the area or at least no entry level comedy in the area. It's all pro £20, £30 a ticket nights. Whoa, £20. Yeah, that's, and again, where I am, you can get somebody who's been on eight out of ten cats does mock the week or whatever the crap. You know, one of these sort of like generic anybody gets on them TV shows. You could have somebody who's been on that once and they're instant headliners because all the crowd are like, oh my god, I recognise that person. They were on a baked bean advert. <laughs> that's that's your headline. There was a, an act. I'm not going to disgrace them, but there was an act who had been on TikTok. They weren't a comedian, really. They're not really the funniest. They've been on TikTok, uh, and they did a gig for my friend, uh, and they charged, was it £2,500 to do a 30-minute slot? Whoa. So, yeah, that's that's the level we're at around here. Does it? Do, do you get a budget as well, or is it...? M- most of my nights are budgeted, yeah. So it's to, it's no risk to me, and again, the, it's no risk to the venue because they know they're going to sell out. Mm, well, you don't get that in London because, and some of them even try and charge you, and it's most of the time it's it's what happens is people just put on a night and they just make money through the tickets, and it's a bit yeah. There's so, loads of nights in London, so many, and that. But then again, there's venues around here that they'll get in touch with me and they'll say, oh, we want a comedy night. We want it to be on a Saturday night. Are you interested in doing it? I'll say yes. And they'll say, brilliant. The room hire is £400. And you go, right, I'll stop you there. We're not doing that. I'm, you know, I, We are here to mutually make money. And if, as long as you can shift your tickets, I guarantee you're going to be making far more money than I am. Like, I think the one venue, I think, I get given a budget of about £300. They make a grand and a half. So, like, well, why would anybody sort of want more money off the back of that? But I don't know. Do they get percentage of ticket sales or is it just you? Sorry. No, so they, they get all the ticket sales. So I'm just uh, having to reach for a charger. Uh, they get all the ticket sales uh, and all I get is a budget. That's it. So mine is guaranteed. Theirs is if you can sell tickets. This is going to be a brilliant night for you. Hmm. It's a, yeah. I wish we had that more in London because it would be a lot, lot of a nicer scene. Well, that's the thing that is, it's never going to happen. It's that the whole, like, you know, people say, oh, we should all just go on strike and then our company would give us a fairer wage. That's what the comedy industry needs. They need everybody to just say, we are not willing to work for free. Promoters to say, we're not willing to pay you to rent out this space because we make money for you. It will never happen because there's always desperate people that need to be noticed and need to be on stage. Mm. Yeah. We're not, we're not the best business people. Speak for yourself. That's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, and I think you'll find as well, this is definitely going to get me on a few black books. Uh, promoters will cry poverty they'll tell you that oh yeah it's so hard being a promoter i don't make any money 
make shit loads of cash, dude. Absolutely shit loads of cash. And they're just not willing to trickle that down to the acts. So promoters, you're one of the biggest problems. Pay your acts fairly. Hmm. What so how long have you been gigging for? Have you been gigging for like since the noughties or Oh no, no, no. So what it been a Seven years, I think it is. It's not a major long time. Uh, not wow. even doing a decade yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a a meteoric rise at the start of my career, and then as soon as I expressed my thoughts onto wanting to be paid, it's stagnated somewhat. So I've stayed at your uh, paid opener, paid middle spot level. Ah, okay. People don't like that. <laughs> No, I say it's weird for some reason. Asking for money seems to be a swear word in comedy, but yeah. I can. S- I've not got to the stage where I run really big paid nights, so I can't see what. See both sides of the argument. With the open mics I run, I I'd make a deal where I split. The ticket cost with the venue. Yeah. And. For that, I don't really pay comedians that well because it's just an open mic night just to test no. material out. And that's, that's why I don't pay people. That's no. because it, if I get paid too many people for that, then it will eat, yeah, it will be too eat too much into the costs. That's the only there's, reason why I don't do it. There's a friend of mine who gets a budget to put a night on. Uh, he pays for the MC and he pays the headliner. Every single other act gets paid via a bucket split. And if ever I want to try some new material, I go and do that. And nine times out of ten, it doesn't even cover my own fuel. But I don't care because that's what the night is for. It's when you've got your monthly Friday, Saturday night, you know, fifteen pound a ticket, twenty pound a ticket, and they say unpaid middle spot required. Why budget your night better? Hmm. It's now with comedy as a whole. Does it? If you get too invested in it and you go, do you feel that there needs to be something outside of comedy? Because I see yes. sometimes with people that get too invested in it, it's broken them in some ways. Like they yeah. may be doing this and that, but they got nothing else for it. Like they got like their personal life sacrifice. Like there's many comics that I know in the London circuit who've never had a missus or never had a ne- never had a certain things that they missed out on like there's there's certain things like they don't have anything else I, I see so many things from comics that they don't say they got any other friends apart from those in comedy and i feel that that is oof. yeah it's it's not I, I i don't know what it is you say it's damaged people because um and I, I don't know if they're damaged before getting into comedy or they've got into comedy they've they've decided they love that feeling that that adulation of a crowd going oh my god you're great and it's like a drug to them. They need it. But I thought, yeah, I don't understand people that gig like four or five nights a week. Mine is just gig enough so so you're active, so you're happy, and have a lovely life outside of that. So like, I've got lovely misses. Uh, we've got a little family. We've got the dogs. We've got a nice house. I've got friends outside of comedy. I do things outside of comedy, like sports and things like that. And I don't know. I think a lot of the a lot of the grief these like. I, I take you on all the um, the the comedy forums on Facebook and things like that. I pass through. Yeah, could, do you think that, that there's just a lot of grief and a lot of drama and a lot of depression? It's like, just, dudes, get a life. 
Can I do something fun? Yeah, it is a. They, they're not. They're not. They're not helpful places to be. No. <laughs> you're very. You're, I, I don't know. How I'd say it. Um, you're you're very calm with your responses. <laughs> I don't want to be too uh, brutal because I know that there'll be people listening on that will be. No, it, it's. Fuck them. It's Fuck a, them. They're going to kill themselves in two weeks anyway. Just so we. <laughs> It, 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 there is it is a bit of a cesspit of there are better things like there's but people like to have something to look down upon or yeah. like to, to deal with the crap that they can't handle yeah and that the forums deal perfectly with that i remember with uh samantha presti or whatever the Ooh. the yeah. she really the lady i'll say it I, if she listens i'm not too i don't care and i'll be straight and honest about it i was with her in Goliath and like the lady oh my god she I remember I disagreed with her on something on a project and she completely but she yeah um with that lady as a whole she's very sensitive that uh, Samantha very sensitive and like I, her going I remember when all the stuff, that it's like a, when, I remember when all the stuff come out about her being cancelled or whatever it was and uh, and I, I, I think she's a nice person. Yeah. She is a nice person, but she, she is deeply troubled. And yeah, I, I, I remember one of my first ever paid opener spots um, was for herself. Uh, she used to run a gig Birmingham way, and she got in touch with me and said, like, you know, oh, and, and by the way, this is paid opener on a Thursday. She was paying me like £30. So I was like, oh, my God, yeah, I can't believe I'm opening a night and someone's paying me to do it. This is fantastic. Uh, and I remember I drove all the way to this pub. I get there and I shit you not. It was just like the most backwards, yokel, horrible place on the planet. They were screaming while she was trying to introduce the first act. I was like, this is going to be an absolute nightmare. But I gritted my teeth. I got through it. Um, a few of the people listened. A few of the people laughed. I thought, oh, well, at least I've done it now. And uh, I came off stage, went to get my money. And uh, as you can see from the video, I'm quite a bald chap. Uh, she tried to pay me in shampoo. And I, oh, you were the one that she did that to? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So she tried to pay me in shampoo. And I was like, no, 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 no. I need 30 quid. Like, you know, I need to put fuel in my car. Thanks very much. And she said, oh, well, I'll tell you what, sell these to your girlfriend instead. She's like, you'll easily get 30 pound for them. So she wanted me to try and sell hair products to my own partner to get a feedback. And I was like, right, I'm just never going to gig for this person ever again. And uh, when she was emceeing, she kept on threatening to get her tits out. That was her thing was like, oh, I'll get my tits out. I'll get my tits out. And some of the crowd really didn't want it. The acts definitely didn't want it. And I left just after the middle section because she got her tits out. And the headliner, who, again, I'm not going to embarrass a female act, uh, just walked off. But as I walked out and got in my car, she was following me. She went, fuck that. I'm not going on stage there. So I don't want to be a part of this night. So, yeah. So all the people that were rushing to her aid and saying what a lovely person she was. She is a lovely person, but she's also fucking mental. So... I was, yeah, I did. She, she, yeah, she scares me, that woman. I remember when I, <laughs> like, how she lost it over something so small really made me nervous. And yeah, yeah her going on Twitter and doing that article, I mean, that, yeah, she, she and with, the, yeah, she, she, 
she's talking about cancel culture, but she's very sensitive herself to criticism. So it's a bit. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, she, she is. A, there's a lot of characters like that. I'll say I am also I am a bit eccentric in the circuit as well, but I'm not. I'm a polite and friendly and nice, and I don't go towards the, the extremes yeah. of that. I'm like this. <laughs> Others are like. Yeah, I, I'm odd if you don't know me, such as uh, my Donald Mackerel profile is purposely vitriolic. It, it, it's out there to cause trouble because I don't want the comedy friends. Like the people that I hang around with know that I'm a nice guy and they get on with me. And so, like, when I post something that's slightly a little bit poke the berry, uh, they, they understand what I'm doing. They have a laugh and we all have a giggle together. And it also has that dual purpose of scaring away people that I just don't want as my friends. So, hmm. what now with everything that goes in comedy now, do you gig? Uh, so, you based sort of in the Midlands, right? Yeah. What would you say the different scenes are like? Because from the comics in London, they tell me that comedy seems to be happening a lot more in the North and the Midlands and in Scotland and in even in Northern Ireland. They're saying, like, especially with hot water building the theatres and doing things. Would that be the case? The hotbed at the moment, I would say, is Manchester and Liverpool. Manchester and Liverpool comedy is taking off. And it's... It's all what we were talking about before. It's people just doing it for themselves. Like, uh, have you heard of the Lafayette Comedy Club? Not quite. Oh, no, I've heard of the name, actually, but I don't know much about it. So, so the Lafayette was just an open mic. It's it's a, it's a fairly big venue for an open mic, but it started off as just an open mic venue. Uh, whatever anybody was willing to pay via a bucket, they'd pass on to the acts. So it was like a really nice vibe there as well. But it was all just friends gigging for friends. The people that host it, I think there was like three people that MC it. It was like a little trio. And uh, they all now have supported each other. You know, they're all starting to, their careers are taking off. So they're all supporting each other. And the Lafayette now is an open mic night where pro comedians want to come and try out new material. And it's you don't get that anywhere else. You don't get sort of like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of that. Like Rob Mulholland is fame, quite big. Like he'll just nip in there and for absolutely no money whatsoever, we'll just bang out 20 minutes. So, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a nice vibe. And again, as you said, Liverpool, hot water. What a fantastic club. Like, that's come from gigging in hotel foyers, you know, uh, just putting on tiny little gigs in the middle of nowhere to owning 500-seater theatres and uh, people desperate to gig for you for free just so they can have a video with hot water in the bottom corner. Uh, I think they, they've made, like, you know, Paul Smith's career. They, they, they've made it, really. So And fair play to him. Like, he's taking up, he's selling out fucking arenas, you know, just doing his, his shtick that he does for free on a Sunday night in hot water so no brilliant place is is has it also shaped adam rowe and a lot of other comics adam rowe yeah yeah well freddie quinn freddie quinn's come through there you've got um again pretty much most of the big northwest comedians have come through uh hot water i don't know do you know troy hawk at all oh he's amazing isn't he yeah so so he's obviously like a southern comedian but I think he mainly got famous through hot water. It's ridiculous. It's is one of the reasons for why sort of comedy going up in the north is because 
he's been in a situation where they had to improvise and and try and work their way around things. Because I spoke to a guy called Marko Stojanovic. He's a mime artist. And he says a lot of the times creativity comes from when there's limits in place and you have to mm. work your way around it. And I feel with what Hot Water have done, uh, I, I was in the early days as well when I saw them in the hotel, What the way they were able to build their own thing by being creative and forcing themselves to create something big. Whilst in London, there's a lot of things happening. Maybe they don't have to work as hard to get audiences or to do things. And so they, were, they weren't in a position where they had to adapt or to be creative. Yeah, well, exactly that. Like I said, where I am, there's, there's nothing. It's not that there's no comedy. There is nothing. You either go out for a pint or you stay in. That's your two choices. So when I put comedy nights on, I have to think, what can I do that will make people want to come to this comedy night? So like I do a lot of guerrilla advertising on local Facebook forums just to wind people up and hopefully it'll it'll wind people up that I don't want to come to the comedy nights, but encourage people that I do want to come to come and all my venues sell out. So yeah, I, I think it's, as you said, if you're in, if you're in somewhere where comedy nights are 10 a penny, you're not really going to innovate. You're not really going to create, but when you're somewhere where you've got to fight for that audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It's th- th- that's what, what, what I thought. And by guerrilla advertising, do you wind them up and do a lot of, lot of gifts or something say listen if you're a real man you can't watch this comedy show <laughs> no no it's not, it's not. it'll be sort of like a, you know you get posts where it'll be like um i don't know to the person who thinks it's okay to start their van at three in the morning i've got babies and they're trying to sleep blah 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 and i just make jokes and i i i'll, I'll poke fun at people like i don't know um my daughter was verbally assaulted by a young girl on such and such park. And you just find it, it's just like local Facebook, local community squabbles between people that are, they've been at each, of the thro- at each other's throats for years. And now they've managed to find a local Facebook community group to go through as well. And while everybody else might just be going like, oh, this is a police matter, contact the police. I'll just wind them up. I'll just poke the bear a little bit. And if I get a laugh react or enough laugh reacts, like if, if 30 or 40 people are laughing, underneath that, I'll put, if you find this funny, come to such such comedy night at Thursday night, eight o'clock start, blah, 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 blah. And you'll get people turn up going, oh, you're the Facebook guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, oh, we always laugh at your stuff. We follow you now to see what you're going to say next. Ah, yes, yes, yes. And it's a, yeah. yeah, that's, you're giving me an idea and I'll do an exchange now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, one thing, I, that's a bit like, that's the thing I do with the flyering. So listeners back home, you keep the secret to yourself and we'll keep a secret between us, Donald and us, all right? So with flyering, I've got a little trick that I do. Um, I'll ask someone a question. So I'll say, oh, I don't... No, I'll do it as it's just us, I'll give the secret. Um, I'll ask someone, do you like comedy? Do you like laughing? I said, no worries, here's the solution. And I give him a flyer. Yeah. Or I do, I, I text people if they've come to the comedy gig. And I yeah. said, do you want to come? To, like, they talk about mailing lists. I don't think they really work, but no. text lists work. Yeah. Um, As you say, like, now, if I get stuff on a mailing list, it goes straight in my like, uh, spam. I, I don't, 
I don't want to know who's on at your comedy night every single month. But I just said, like a text, you've got, oh shit, yeah, that's happening against this month. It's just so easy, it's straightforward. And it's like, um, yeah, I don't know, it's, it's more personable. Yes, yeah. That's, yeah, there's nothing worse than, uh, hey, you, sort of bullshit. <laughs> you don't even know my name. <laughs> so, yeah. No, not good. Uh, another another thing that I do do as well is on the nights. I take you advertise your next night at that venue. Yeah, I go a lot on next door. I do go in a lot of Facebook groups, and I, if I had a bit more money, I'll be spending a bit more time on like the Facebook ads. Or oh, no, don't. <laughs> they are. Facebook ads uh, are completely fucking useless. Absolutely useless. It's, I'm, uh, I had them recently where they were telling me, oh, it's reached like, you know, um, 17,000 people. And you go, there's not 17,000 people in my area. This is mental. Oh, you've had 2,000 interactions, you know, fucking three and a half, well, one and a half thousand have clicked they're interested. And you go, oh, brilliant. And then when you're at the venue, nobody, nobody has seen an advert for it. I'll, I'll be on stage MC and just go, has anybody seen an advert? No. And when you look into the analytics of it, they're just literally like, you've got people from Indonesia that have clicked that they're interested. You've, you've, they're advertising it in like, I don't know, Hackney. And you're going, what, why the fuck are you doing this, Facebook? And it's obviously, they've advertised it to the 3,000 people that live locally. They've all just gone, I don't give a fuck. And it's like, oh, well, he's paid to, to get a big interaction here. So we'll just, we'll go further afield until we get people that just click that they're interested. It's it's bullshit. The the oh. best way of getting people at your club is word of mouth. Number one, if you if you put on a good night and people say "fuck me," that's a good night to their friends. Their friends will come. N never ever ever bow to public pressure as well. Never put a terrible act on just because you feel like you need to be inclusive. Just put funny on. Whoever you think is funny, whoever you think is going to sell. Put them on your fucking stage and people will come back every month. Number two, what you said, flyering. Just do that. I find flyering works very well. I don't know why, but me doing door-to-door -door flyering, that works quite well. Because it's, it takes effort to put that in the bin. <laughs> Even while you're putting it in the bin, you're reading it and you might go, oh, fuck, I didn't realise there was a comedy night on. It's like the amount of times I'll go to a takeaway. I won't sort of like sit there on Google looking at reviews going... You know, oh, well, this might be a fake review or like, oh, but is it that good really? Blah, 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 blah. If something comes through my door and says, we sell burgers, I'll go, fuck, I'll get myself a burger from this place. I'm that lazy. And I think 90% of the British populace are as well. Yeah, we want things handed to us. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah. McDonald's is successful for a reason because it's quick and convenient and it's there. Now... One of the things with comedy, we, 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 we really touched on like earlier, like we talked about Samantha Ruth Presley, there's an attractor, some interesting characters and mad moments about taking the tits off and all that. Uh, that, that. What have been like madness moments you've witnessed in life, like recently <laughs> in comedy and in uh, life? Uh, so uh, in life, uh, again, I can't really say what I do for a living but it's public facing. So it's, I am obviously at work when the people who should be at work aren't. And uh, my job also involves uh, legal procedures, 
But it's mainly to do with uh, I would be in court with businesses. So it's not it's not your man on the street that I normally have trouble with. But uh, the other day I was taking photos for evidence of something. It was just a, a stretch of road, just taking photos, like no houses, nothing nearby, a couple of fields, taking pictures of a road. And then just randomly from behind me, I heard a voice saying, stop taking pictures of my house. And again, there's, there's no houses there. So I, I turn around and go, what the fuck? And it's just a, a quite clearly drunk man in the middle of nowhere, next you know, on the side of a 60 mile an hour road, walking towards me. And I was like, are you all right, mate? And he's like, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm just taking pictures of this road here. Don't worry about it. It's nothing to do with you. He said, no, no, no. But I want to know why you're taking pictures of my road. Said, it's not your road. This belongs to the government. So, um, yeah, don't worry about it. Just keep on your way. And I turned around and heard the sound of water hitting the floor. And he was basically trying to piss up my back. But luckily, he was that drunk he couldn't aim at me. So it was <laughs> just a, a random drunk man who pulled his dick out the second my back was turned and tried to piss up my back. So uh, that, <laughs> that's the weirdest one from life. Uh, from comedy, I would say my my weirdest ever moment was I did a gig in Birkenhead for uh, a, a promoter who doesn't promote anymore, um, a, a guy called Barry Heap. Uh, we, he put a gig on. I remember the when he was trying to start the night off, there was a really, really abrasive woman on the front row. And she was and I'd say there was only about like 18 people in. So it was such a small audience that one person can really ruin a night. And she was just screaming over the top of everything. Anything he said, just shouting over the top of it. You could see her partner wasn't very happy with it. He was sort of trying to shy away from it. The opening act was a guy called Dean Coughlin, who, um, again, getting famous thanks to Hot Water Comedy Club. Um, he he uh, opened the night. Straight away, she was talking over the top of him and started shouting about the size of different animals' dicks. So, <laughs> yes, straight away, we were like, what the fuck is this woman on about? And no matter what material he was trying to do, she was just shouting and trying to bring it back to her knowledge of animal dicks and why she'd been to university studying the size of animal dicks. Uh, okay, so he just gave up, walked off stage. Uh, next act goes on. Same thing, just shouting over the top of him, and again, mainly about animal penises. So. Um, while this was happening, I was meant to go on uh, after the next act. So Barry just said, look, you're doing Mr. Badger, and I know you can be quite rude. Can you just shut her the fuck up? Because she's not listening to me. She's not listening to the acts. I said, yeah, yeah, no worries. And the headliner sort of stuck his thumb up as in a, yeah, just give it some. So I went on stage. I, I Not proud. I was horrible to her. I was really, really nasty until she just stopped talking. But the entire audience was pissing themselves laughing. Everybody was on board. I didn't care that she wasn't happy. You know, it's just everybody else was enjoying the night. I thought, brilliant, there we go. Uh, I had an absolutely rocking, like, 20-minute set. Everybody was on board with everything I said. And I said, I've been Mr. Badger, good night. The entire audience erupts, and I just walk off the stage like, fucking yeah, I smashed that. And then all I could see is because the vision on Mr. Badger's hat is quite limited. As I got closer and closer to the back, there was just a look of horror on Barry's face. Uh, like, so I said, oh, fuck, have I, have I gone too far? So I got off and I said, I'm really sorry, mate. Did, did, I, did I overstep the mark? He went, did you not see that? And I was like, what? And he was like, when you announced that, you know, you've been Mr. Badger, good night, and you went to walk off the stage, 
The woman that you insulted picked up a pint glass and smashed it into her boyfriend's face because he laughed at her. So because he'd been, yeah, because he was laughing while I was putting her down, she waited until the end of the set and the crowd erupting wasn't like a, oh, hey, it was a, oh, my fucking God. So I spin round and they are dragging this woman out by her heels while her boyfriend is holding his face with glass sticking out of it. Fuck. Yeah, man. Yeah. Didn't gig for that gig again. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, man. Yeah. And then they cleaned it all up. She was ejected. Obviously, I think the guy had to go off and seek medical help. And they brought the headliner on. Fucking, <laughs> 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 oh, dear. Oh, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen a, I've seen a worse one, but uh, that one was uh, there's a, again a, a guy who's been on TV, a guy called Gareth Belliner, really really lovely guy. Like it, he would never upset anybody. He's one of those sort of comedians, uh, and he not just his act, but in person, he's such like a a zen, calm. I don't want to upset anybody kind of dude. Um, similar situation, different pub, different promoter. But um, just the audience were an absolute nightmare. And one guy in particular was being a, a prick. Um, and he was fine all the way throughout the night. But then, and luckily, I didn't have to calm the crowd down. It was just one of those, like, we all just grit our teeth, got through it. They brought the headliner on. And now Gareth has got, like, bowel issues. So he's got a pipe that sort of goes into his stomach and feeds him liquid. And it goes into a backpack. So, like, you know, that has to be full of water. Um, so Gareth's on stage, sort of doing his shtick, talk, 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 blah, 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 blah. And the next thing you know, just this guy gets up and tries to hit him. And we're like, what the fuck? So Gareth's sort of going, whoa, whoa, calm down, mate. What's wrong? And he goes, you're a fucking racist. You're a racist. And Gareth went, well, what, what, what have I said? I've not said anything racist. I'm not, you know, I'm not that sort of a comedian. And this guy goes, you're a fucking racist. You hate me. Uh, the guy who was saying it was white, as was Gareth. So it was like, what the fuck? And you could see the crowd then sort of like got on the comedian side going like, dude, calm down, fucking hell. And so they, everybody managed to calm this guy down. I think the owner of the venue said like, oh, if you carry on again, we'll have to throw you out. And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. Next thing you know, this guy's picked up a chair and he's trying to attack Gareth with it. And so I, to me, at that point, that would be, let's eject this man. No, no, no. They calmed the situation down again. They told him, look, you know, be calm or we will kick you out, blah, 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 blah. And so Gareth got on the microphone. He said, like, look, just so you know, you know, I, I am disabled. And if, if you were to attack me with that chair and if you were to knock this pipe out, it would kill me. So don't be bloody stupid. We're all here for a good time. We're all here for a laugh. Please just calm down. And if you don't like what I'm saying, just leave. You know, nobody's going to hassle you. Just leave the venue. Or just sit there, have a laugh. Let's all be friends, okay? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah, all right. And then, all right, then. I'm like, hey. And then Gareth Malena walks straight into the next bit of material and a chair just comes flying past him and it's this drunk guy. So uh, at that point, I remember Gareth looked over to the promoter who was sat next to me and my friend uh, and sort of like did the whole like neck switch, you know, oh, let, let's fucking end this gig. And the promoter looked at his watch and just went, uh, 20 more minutes. <laughs> so... <laughs> Wanted him to finish his set, even though there was a guy that was trying to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. I think he was only getting, like, 120 quid as well, so... Yeah.
<laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> so, but for, with these mad experiences in comedy, though, and some of the brutal experiences, we do learn from them. And so what, what, what would you say has been a very bad experience that's taught you a lot about comedy and made you a better co comedian? So the, a, a big thing I have learned is don't just do every gig. So if you you get to to know when a gig is going to be an absolute shit show, and so if you see something advertised and it looks like a shit show, or I've even done it in the past where I've got to the venue, looked inside, and gone, well that looks fucking horrific. Don't do it. Just go home. It's not going to be beneficial for you. You're not going to learn anything. You're going to walk away feeling terrible about yourself, going, why the fuck did I do that? Just go home. And so, uh, yeah, that would be my number one bit of advice. Only do nice gigs. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Yeah. So there is one gig that's going on at the moment, and I will Bing show bag. you. Actually, I'll show you. I'll show you. Um, should I? Sh yeah, I don't give a shit. I'll show you. Um, I like to be, yeah, I'm not, I'm a bit, um, something. So this is something that I, this is one of the, it's a gig that I'm a bit against because it, I think it puts people off comedy. Um, so here's, this is, this is the giggy one. So read this. What's this? Book in July spots for bar my no mic Tuesday nights in New Maiden, London. Not a bringer. Everybody can do up to ten minutes. Okay, this is London's worst open mic. <laughs> what the fuck? I don't have time or budget to promote it, so there is usually no audience except a handful of Tuesday night drinkers and the other acts. It's not worth. <laughs> this is amazing. It's not worth traveling very far for this. If you have any other gig you can do on the same night, uh, I beg you to choose that one instead. Also, I'm really, really mad. <laughs> okay, so, I don't, don't, well, we, they'll find out who it is, but it, it and this is so, so this is some of the comments that I've had on it. So, uh, I try not to oversell it. We set up a PA system in the corner of a bar and dick around for a couple of hours, and some people still show up expecting the comedy store. Yeah. apply for the right now. Please do not apply to that. To be fair, this seems like anti-marketing, I'd say. So what, do, so what did you make of that? Because I've been to that gig, and it's been really... It's been bad. But it's like each time I've gone in there and I've tried to do set, it's not gone, it's yeah, it's been very difficult and it's created a very hostile atmosphere with comedians and the audience alike. Yeah, wow. So for me, my first thought was that that was anti marketing. That it was like a, like, like what I do on Facebook where I just antagonize people and then the ones that get it, get it, the ones that don't, don't. So I genuinely would apply. To, like, if if I was in the area, I'd apply for a ten spot at that and go. Yeah, this is going to be fucking hilarious. This is going to be one of those nights that is self-aware. But if it is that bad, 
then yeah, don't put it on. Because <laughs> you're just bringing the image of comedy down in the area. Not just for the acts, not just us lot going, oh God, I never want to do comedy ever again. But for customers who may be interested in comedy, if they just see a load of shit, they'll go, well, I don't like comedy. I don't ever want to go to a comedy night ever again. So yeah, maybe don't run it. <laughs> but you'd still do it uh, but I would have done it expecting it to be better than it was so fair play to the guy he's advertised it as being a load of shit uh, and that he's not very good as an MC and he doesn't have time to promote it and there's no crowds so fair play to the guy for being that honest I've never seen that level of honesty before especially when someone's putting on a night. So I would expect it to all just be a little bit of a, an in-joke, like a ha-ha-ha. So there was there was one in um, Liverpool called The Worst... I think it was The Worst Ever Comedy Night or something like that. And it was fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant. You'd always have like a crowd of about 25, 30 in. You could do whatever you wanted on stage. There was no limits, no rules. And everything was fucking brilliant. The crowd were well on board. The acts were all fantastic. You might mean... I, I think there's one in um, Cradley... Do you know Cradley Heath at all? Near Wolverhampton? Uh, if you ever get the chance, it's it's legendary in the Midlands. There's a venue called the Hollybush. Oh, I've been there. Yeah, oh, you've done the Hollybush? Yeah, so it is complete fucking chaos, isn't it? I, I, I tell you, you know the chap who runs it, Dave? Yeah. Nine times out of ten, he's pissed. Nine times out of ten. Uh, he tries to sell vegetable samosas while you're on stage. He'd <laughs> just be screaming it over the top of your act. So it is complete and utter fucking chaos, but it's enjoyable chaos. It's where like, I cut my teeth in the comedy world. I got to meet massive acts. Uh, whilst, so I've got a dog desperately attempting to cuddle me. So um, I met massive acts whilst I was starting out there. Uh, I've got a lot of my first paid gigs from people seeing me gig there. And it was one of those ones where you'd turn up to and it'd either be the worst night you've ever gigged at in your life and you're gigging to three people and they really don't want comedy, they've just nipped in for a quiet drink, or the venue would be rammed. You'd have 40 people in there, it'd be absolutely fantastic. You know, at the end of it, you're almost being carried out on their shoulders sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, I thought it was advertising as one of those sort of nights, but if it's not, knock it oh, on the it head. Is. It is, actually, uh, yes. I'll say that, yeah. It, oh, there's yeah. no audience there, and it's but it is it is a yeah it's it's quite a surreal experience, and it's it's a difficult thing to play. But yeah, I'm trying to think of a positive, like maybe maybe if if it's that bad, it teaches you to deal with dying on stage, if you know what I mean. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, th I think that's a, a thing for a new comedians as well, is the first time they die, they just sort of go, oh, my God, this is the end of the earth. I never want to do comedy ever, ever again. Until you've died in front of, say, 300 people and nobody's laughing, nobody's booing, nobody's saying get off the stage, but everybody's just sat there silent and you can see the look on their face just sort of saying, we are ready for the next act now. Until you've had that happen to you, you've not had a death. And now deaths are quite enjoyable. I can sort of roll with them. So I think, yeah, you need these little nights at the start to make you realise how shit comedy can be. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, One of the things that I found on the comedy circuit that can be a bit irritating, and what are your thoughts on this? But every, and this is from someone that runs a podcast, so this is going to be quite ironic. 
but everyone has an opinion on things. Every single, oh, yeah. but like, I'm running a podcast, but one of the things I found in comedy, like, I've, people will give advice on things, but they don't know what they're talking about. Like, the, the, the people I found who give you good advice are ones that you go and approach and you ask for advice. But the ones yes. that always freely offer advice, whether it be audience members or comedians, are always the ones that don't know what they're talking about. We're back to the Facebook community groups again, aren't we? The Facebook comedy forums. It's like if you put a question up there saying, like, what night of the week is best for comedy, you're not going to get an answer. You're just going to start a war. So, yeah, it's, I, again, going back to there are a lot of mentally damaged people in comedy and a lot of people that are desperate for fame and desperate for attention. That's where you're getting all your bad advice from. Comedy is full of people that just need to be heard. So, yeah. Just, as you say, approach people. Approach people you respect and people you like or people maybe you want to model yourself after if you if you actually want advice. Yeah. Do you, have you, do you sometimes get that? And what, what are your thoughts on that when someone tries to get... So you remember I said that I have a Facebook profile that is purposely antagonistic and designed to make people not want to add me as a friend. Yeah. That's the best bit is if ever I put something up, and then someone tries to chime in with advice, I can just be absolutely horrific to them. And that's fine, because that's my comedy, that's my online persona. So yeah, and so it does two things. It it, it allows the people that know me to have a good old laugh and say like, ah, look at this person attempting to give Donald advice. And it also allow, well, it, it does three things, because number two, it keeps them away from me, because they don't want to have anything to do with me after that. And number three, it's a nice little release for me. All the little anger that I get from people attempting to piss up my back while I'm doing my day job, I get to go online and, and scream at a random. So it's nice. Hmm. And what what food? What is that? What meal? I've asked this maybe once to another comedian on a podcast, but he told me Bakude in Malaysia. I don't even still don't know what that dish is describes comedy but for you what meal in the world describes the comedy journey the comedy journey yeah so are we talking from the start of your career to the end of your career or just the average comedy gig i'd say not after you start when you're in the midst of the comedy journey you're in it now you're like and you as you're going towards the yeah when you're in the comedy journey not from the start but in the middle I was going to say a McDonald's Big Mac, but it's not even that good. I would say one of the 99p menu items. If, if you've just got like a cheeseburger, that's what comedy is because it's it happens so fast. It's it's sort of like it's it's cheap, it's cheerful, it's not brilliant, it's not shit, it's just there, uh, and it's it. As I say, like literally, you're on stage, bang. Next thing you know, you're off stage, and you go, "Was that good? I don't know." <laughs> that's that's me. Is comedy? It is your £1.19 cheeseburger. How how often would you say when you do a gig that your perception of it is completely different to when you watch the video? Oh, God, every single gig. Uh, I think we had a chat off, off camera before where um, I think I've died at every single gig, and I do. I, I zone in on the one person who hates the night, and that to me is... 
but the, the 99 other people that are saying it's amazing and laughing, uh, it's the one person that hates it. They, they're, the, they're the true critic of the night. That's that's who I take all my opinion off. And so, um, yeah, I, I will watch videos back. That is another brilliant piece of advice for new acts. Record everything, whether it's just audio or video, record everything. Because what's going on in your head is not reality. There's acts out there that will think that they've smashed it and they'll they're constantly posting like fucking smash this gig tonight blah 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 and i'm like i was there with you you died on your ass you were fucking shit what are you talking about so record everything it will give you a realistic reaction to what has happened on stage and the amount of times that i think i have died and my partner will force me to watch the video back and i fully expect to sit there cringing just going oh my god this is going to be the worst video and sometimes it is sometimes i've died on my ass and I watched the video and I have died on my ass. And I go, oh, that, that was terrible. But you, you might still learn the odd little bit, like the odd little aside you've kicked out, might get a bit of a titter. And you go, oh, at least I, I've learned that from it. But the amount of times that I've watched a video of me dying, and it's been a 6 out of 10 or a 7 out of 10 gig. And you go, oh, God, I just, I didn't absolutely tear the roof off. Oh, woe is me. Fucking hell. So, yeah, always handy to... Um, be realistic, um, especially if you're pessimistic like me. Always handy. And what if you're too optimistic like me? <laughs> what this is? Uh, do you genuinely think that you storm every gig? No, definitely so not. You, I, so I, you're not optimistic. On on the Wednesday, I could tell that I it was at my own gig. I could tell that I didn't do too well because often, if I've done well, the people that I work with say that I've done well. And I had my parents come in and they said that they oh. said they said that the they don't say anything. They yeah. so there were signs that I didn't do too well. Because they don't want to say anything to you because they don't want to upset you. So you yeah. can pick up maybe in their body language that like they're a bit uncomfortable, or whatever. And I I I thought, well, I'm just throwing new stuff out. I'm doing Edinburgh this year, so I'm trying to try yeah. out ideas and I'm trying to take chances and see what happens. And I look back on it. I mean, I didn't bomb, but it it wasn't good. Like they weren't really laughing. They they they, no. they, they were okay with it, but they weren't. What am I saying? They laughed little bits, but it wasn't really big. I had one bit that got a big laugh, but that was it. Everything else was. They laughed a little bit, but it wasn't really good. Yeah, which which is fair. That's a fair assessment to have, especially when you're trying out new stuff. So yeah, that that to me, that's not optimistic. That's just realistic. But if I didn't have the video, I wouldn't have my answer as to what what happened at the gig. Like, oh yeah, right. But yeah, even still, that's it's still handy. It's still handy to look uh, to to have that opinion of. I don't think I had such a great gig. It wasn't the worst gig. Wasn't the best gig. And then have video to back it up as well. One of the things as well that's going on because I tried to be a comic that was a punchline for a while. But I found out, like, I went to Goliath School where it's clowning and you do more physical comedy. So I found that what I do that makes people laugh is when I'm in an awkward or funny position and I do something daft. So yeah. I try and build my act around that. And I did have a few bits that have gone well during the week. And, and I've, I've done it in different gigs. There's bits that have gone well, but I definitely in some of them thought I did better than I did. The thing is, I don't understand how I did well in what got those big laughs and certain bits i haven't got a clue why it worked so what i'm going to do is i'm going to talk to some clowns or people that have studied that are longer than me 
and I'm going to ask them if they could painfully look at why those bits worked. And then again, though, sometimes there's no rhyme or reason. As I said before, I've I've done um, gigs that have been shit that that I, I didn't stand a chance of doing well at. But I might have said the odd aside, they got a giggle, and then I go, "Oh, well, I can use that in my proper set." And then ten times in a row, I try and use that aside, and it doesn't work. And you go, I don't understand it. And sometimes you have to just go, it was just that audience. It was just that little perfect moment on that night where just everything all clicked together and that one thing got a laugh. So it's it's the weird magic of comedy. Sometimes you just got to get a feel for the room and go, "Ah, maybe if I do this now, I'll get a giggle. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. One of the things that I want to look at is the behaviour or like the the reaction. Like I spoke to... um... What's that lady? I need to stop. It was, she's really good. A professional comedian and she's a good compare. Um, her name Nina is Gilligan? Mel. I'm going to look her up. Something. It's not Mel Byron. She's a very good comic as well, but she's not quite. She's uh, Scotland, there. It is. Um, one second. She'll be here in a second. Maureen Younger. That's what it is. Yes. Oh. Okay, yeah. She said that it's the well, a lot of the things that gets the comedy is the psychology of comedy or like the way you react to it or the way someone yeah. reacts to it. And what I want to look at is I haven't quite understood what reaction from me and from the person that I got to play along with on stage got the laugh. Yeah. So when uh, I do some magic tricks, there's a bit that I do where I do some the professor's nightmare. So I'll do the tricks and I've gotten to a point where I can deliberately make it fail and it works. And people can't yeah. tell when I'm deliberately being a knob or when it's actually really being a knob. Yeah. But Mr. Badger's got us on a bit where uh, he, he doesn't do magic tricks. He does magic tricks that are designed to fail. But as you say, like that, that is the best bit is when the audience sort of are so... Uh, enraptured with the character that, that they they don't they they know what's going on but they just see the funny side of it so like a, the whole producing a card it's not the right card mr badger has a full-on mental breakdown on stage calls them a liar claims that they're just there to destroy his career that sort of thing the audience are just on board with their pissing off laughing but for you as a magician you could then turn that into later on oh fuck this is the card i was actually looking for pull it out of like a, an area and then the audience go oh and he's a good magician as well clap 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 Mr. Badger doesn't get to that point. One thing, could we do this at the end of the pod? Could we look at different bits and see why they work just for a little bit of a laugh and just see what happens? Yeah, give it a go. So this is a bit that I did a while ago in my Zoro character. Because I'd still... <clears throat> this is it. Um, it's my... That's my YouTube handle. So there's this bit here that worked really well. And I still haven't what quite... It sounds like a really bad porn star. Uh, oh! <laughs> that's a... I'm going to keep that. I have to give you credit now. <laughs> Look, this is what I did. Oh, here it is, yeah. So this is a magic trick, the balloon swallow trick. <laughs> so I did that. Hang 
Oh, God, you're not even going to let air it. You're actually going to swallow a balloon. Yeah. You will see it. I don't know why that got a laugh, but that did. What, that it's a long balloon? Yeah. Because it's fucking, to, to me, it's like someone who's shit. So <laughs> it's almost something that somebody that's terrible would say, which to me gets a fucking laugh every single time. <laughs> uh, one of the lines that I did as Mr. Badger, and it was a throwaway line that I, that I know I can never repeat again, was uh, when I do my show, I've got a Sainsbury's bag for life that I bring all my props onto the stage in because I he's meant to be that poor he can't even afford proper props he's just got a shit bag that he carries all of his crap around in and I forgot that I'd got my lunch in it as well because I'd come straight from work straight to the gig uh, I'd got like a bottle of water a sandwich and a snack in there and as I was looking for my next prop I pulled out and just goes that's a fucking whisper gold and just threw a whisper gold out the way and the audience went fucking bananas and it's like I can never ever ever perform that again because it was so realistic it was Mr. Badger is that shit at comedy. Well, that, that shit, because he's not meant to be a comedian, he's meant to be a children's entertainer. But his, his life is going that poorly that he carries around whisper golds in a fucking Sainsbury's bag for life and mixes them in with, like, dildos and pictures of kids and things like that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think with that, the, it's such a long balloon! It's... It's if someone sort of says to the crowd, like, look how impossible this is going to be. It's not just a balloon, it's a long balloon. <laughs> no, that's great. That's really good. I like that. But that, that's that's what I find interesting about comedy the, 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 the psychology or the, the bits there. Because yeah. I see, yeah, that's, that's, that's the bit I find interesting. Because I take it your character is meant to be slightly mental. Yeah, I, I just play Zoro. I say, hello, everyone. My name is Marvin McCarthy. Hello, senors. Hello, senoritas. Hello, senor. Look at you. You have a hat. You have a clothes. At least you have money. Or well, I say something daft. And then I, then, I, then I will do some ridiculous things. So mm -hmm. I'm playing a Spaniard's guide to learning Shakespeare. So I yeah. deliberately do it badly. And so with one of them... <laughs> I, there was an email from Laughing Horse um, saying about how to fly her. So I put that in my bag and I make that the script. So I say, hey, guys, I'm going to play uh, Romeo and Juliet. Who wants to be uh, Romeo and Juliet? I get someone up on stage. I talk in gibberish Spanish, playing the different roles of certain scenes that are famous in Shakespeare. And then I got this guy to read the email at the start. And he was going to be, are you sure this is the correct one? Are you sure? And then it, it, the first bit of the email goes, hi. <laughs> and that was the script for the thing. I thought it would be daft because it didn't make, you know, it, like why have you got an email bit and you're playing Shakespeare? It looks stupid and doesn't make any sense. And I thought yeah. it put the person and myself in a position that doesn't make any sense, makes us uncomfortable. Yes. 
and it creates something that will be funny and I play with them yeah. and that's what sort of clowning is in Goda you think you have an idea that's going a certain way and at times where I've been in Goda I'll have an idea but it's not fully planned it's a little bit disorganized that you play with someone and then the magic happens and then you get a big laugh two of my favorite things so I suppose on that level, have you? I tell you, you're on Netflix, aren't you? You've got a Netflix account. You've got to do. You're 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 alive. You've got to have a Netflix account. Um, go on Netflix and look for Oh Hello. Uh, I, I forget the names of the comedians. It's two big American comedians. I think one is that. Is it Dan Mul Mulvaney or something like that? Um, and the other one is the guy who writes Big Mouth. Uh, they did a live show toured forever. It's about two like octogenarian uh, New York actors living in a rent-controlled apartment, and it's just a live show about them, and it just goes completely fucking weird. They invite people onto the stage. There's a giant tuna sandwich that comes from the sky. It's fucking... It makes no sense, but it's one of those ones where they set up an idea and just it never comes to fruition. It just changes into something else and morphs all the way throughout it, and it's interactive because they're dealing with the crowd as well. I have never seen anything so funny in my fucking life. It's absolutely bizarre. But the other thing for planned comedy that is like that, there's a, a series, it's just on its third series at the moment called I Think You Should Leave. Oh. And oh, have, have you watched I Think You Should Leave? No. <laughs> yeah, genuinely, it's, it's the third series has just come out now. I can't describe it to you. Some bits of it are just, what the fuck was that? You just sit there going, that, that, that wasn't funny. I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really know what's happened. Other bits of it, I have been in a ball fucking crying with laughter about what I'm seeing on screen. And again, it's, it's an idea where you think you know the direction it's going to take, and it never does, and then it just ends. <laughs> it's just fucking... <laughs> it's amazing. You just sit there as a... And oh, I'd say watching the TV, but as an audience member, just going, what? And then he just fucking laughed. Oh, it was brilliant. There's a, um, the, the best one they do is there's a uh, a birthday party. It's got, what's the name of the, the Asian guy who, is it Glenn from Walking Dead? Oh. I think, it, yeah. So, so he, it's his birthday uh, and people are giving him presents. And it's about the whole, how do you react when you get a present that's shit? So everybody's giving him presents and he's doing the whole, like, oh, thanks, you know, oh, a, a bread maker. Oh, I've always wanted a bread maker. Thanks very much. Oh, wow, that's great. Yeah, we're going to put that, try to place on the side. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And then this one guy gets him a gift and I forget what it's for. But it, you see him going like, oh, uh, I can't remember what it's for, but he's, he's like, oh, oh thank, thanks very much. You know, that's a great gift. He's like, oh, yeah, and just in case you, you don't want it, I'll put the receipt in with the gift, you know, and you can always take it back. So like, no, 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 of course I'm going to want it. It's a great gift. He's like, okay, eat the fucking receipt then. He goes, what? He's like, eat the fucking receipt. If you if you love the gift so much, eat the receipt. He's going, like, I'm, I'm not going to eat your receipt. And then all the other guests are going like, well, if you like the gift so much, you'll eat the receipt. And he's like, uh, okay. I'll eat the receipt. <laughs> and then he starts eating the receipt. And the guy's like, oh, thank God, thank God. You, you like my gift. I didn't think that was bad. And then um, the guy starts going like, uh, oh, God, I don't feel very well. And they, it turns out the one guy hasn't washed his hands, so he's got human shit on the receipt that he's just eaten, and he, just, he dies at the birthday party. 
<laughs> this is what happens when you don't wash your hands. Genuinely, yeah, if you get the chance, watch Oh Hello, which is fantastic, and I think you should leave. Oh, uh, is it Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun as well? Oh, Fuck okay. Him. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's that's my top three picks of things to watch. If you really, really want to question what the fuck is comedy, <laughs> absurd comedy. Okay. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm watching uh, Johnny Vegas. It's it's just come up on my. Here's how old I am. It's come up on Facebook memories, and I thought, oh, that's lovely. I watched Johnny Vegas uh, live in oh, somewhere near St Helens, but. Um, they ended the set by bringing out a potter's wheel and uh, they played the theme to Ghost and he tried to make pottery whilst being attacked by other comedians. It's <laughs> <laughs> fucking insane. I think it, uh, he was due to film a TV pilot the next day and he was unable to do it because he stood on top of the potter's wheel, quite drunk because he'd been drinking all the way throughout the night, not just his set. Uh, stood on top of the potter's wheel, fell off and smashed his face on the stage. So. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant, fantastic. It was a uh, yeah, one of those moments you just had to be there, but fucking quality. Well, guys, is that an answer? I don't know. Who knows? Oh, that is an answer. That's definitely an answer. It's an answer that I'm gonna take. I'm gonna write it down now, and I'm gonna watch those programs. Beautiful. Is listening. Now, <laughs> before we go, I want to say one little thing. What? How does being a comedy promoter and performing in all these three different characters help you as an act and as a promoter? And how has, what is the one thing you would like to see changed in comedy? Well, we've already mentioned it with promoters and money, but like what, what's, what's a really stupid thing in comedy with people and the circuit that doesn't make any sense with you? And you're like, so um, things I'd like to see changed. Number one, from the terms of performers, stop trying to drag other people down to further your own career. You can be successful without having to backstab and spread rumours and just be nasty, which is a massive thing in the industry at the moment. There's um, a, a lot of people pretending to be the most virtuous person on the planet or secretly just being a horrible, horrible prick. So just... Do your own thing. Let other people do their own things. And whoever is the best at it will come out on top. So that would be from a performer side. From the general public side, I don't know what's happened, but over the, I think especially since lockdown, since people were just forced to not have live entertainment, to just take stuff through their TV, people have become like drunken, horrible animals. There's, I, I can read out the rules. God knows, not just at my nights, but other nights. We've got, please don't talk over the action. You know, it's disrespectful. Um, please just, you know, give them a lot of love and that they'll they'll give you what you give them. So please support the act. Straight away at the start of the night, you'll have people just scream and not just abuse, just screaming or having conversations with each other, getting their fucking phones out and dicking about. So if you don't like what's on the stage, fuck off. Don't ruin the night for everybody else. So I don't know what's happened audience-wise. So, yeah, my, my thing would be just be more respectful, whether you're an act or whether you're a, a, an audience member. 
be more respectful and stop being a prick. Um, I would say uh, what what I would say is uh, helpful to my career uh, as a promoter. And this again, other promoters aren't going to like this, but it's the truth. You get spots. I get I will get spots on other people's lineups in the vain hope that uh, I will give them a spot on my lineup, which won't happen. Don't give me spots if that's the case. But um, as I say, I always book good acts. I never book acts because I feel like I should book them. But as a promoter, I know for a fact I've been offered paid work by a promoter that doesn't really want me there, but hopes that I can further their career, which won't happen. Um, uh, But from doing several different acts, as I say, I do Donald Mackerel, who's just your generic stand-up comedian. I do The Penguin, that is just puns uh, from a man dressed as a penguin. And I do Mr. Badger, which is very, very dark, very, very abstract material. So with that, I get to work with all different types of audiences. I get to know what's going to work, what's not going to work. And sometimes I even had to turn up to a gig where I've been booked to headline as Mr. Badger. I've watched sometimes the whole night, but usually it's just I'll, I'll watch the act that's on before me. And I can just gauge from the audience. I can just go, they're really, really, really not going to go with alternative comedy. Why have you booked me for this night? And I can have a chat with the promoter and say, like, look, I think for this night, they want one-liners. I'd use the penguin. Just give me 20 minutes of the penguin, and I think it'll be the best ending you ever had. Or all they want is a man doing dick jokes. They don't want to think about anything. They don't, they're not after anything too intelligent. Just let me go on as Donald Mackerel and I'll smash it. And so that was what I would say is diversifying as an act gives you. And you don't have to have different characters. You can just learn how to work clean, learn how to just memorize a shitload of one-liners, learn how to do crowd interaction. Some audiences just want that. They just want you to be an additional MC. So, yeah, that that would be my advice is if you're a promoter, you will get spots. Um, And if you diversify as an act, you'll become a better act and you'll know how to deal with different audiences. Oh, that's, that's something. Oh, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's something that, what's it called? I've heard from other comments like Sam Russell, but there's, people say hammer down on your niche, but if you're so fixated on one thing, you won't get booked. It limits your book ability. Well, again, you can still, like Mr. Badger is fucking good at what he does. So if it's the right crowd, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll double down on everything. It's absolutely brilliant. But there's no point going on to a night where the crowd are all in their 70s and 80s and you're going, oh, hello, I'm a paedophile. Here's some weird ideas for you to wrap your heads around when they're used to chubby brown or whatever the fuck. You know, it's, it's not going to work. So, yeah, it, why would you put yourself through that punishment? Just learn how to roll with it. And then you never know. That promoter might go, fucking hell, I booked him as Mr. Badger. He came in. He did 25 minutes as Donald Mackerel, took the fucking roof off. He'll tell his other promoter mates, and they'll go like, oh, you know, I was going to book Mr. Badger, but he was a bit of a, a bit of a liability because I wasn't sure how my crowd would take it. Would you be willing to come down and do the 20 as Donald? And I've had that before where, yeah, people will book you because they've seen the other side of you. They expect you to be this horrific, sort of vile, 65-year-old, mentally challenged children's entertainer. And then they go, oh, you're actually like quite an intelligent guy who does intelligent comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll book that. So, yeah. Now, for anyone that's listening, they want to find out about you. How do they find out about you? 
do they find out about you in the zoo? Do they find <laughs> about you in the M25? Try and watch. It's um, no. Uh, if if you want to find out about Mr. Badger, just Google Mr. Badger, uh, Mr. Badger comedy. So I'm on Facebook. Uh, I don't really do Instagram. I don't really understand it and TikTok as well. And I know I pretend to be a paedophile. I'm not an actual paedophile, so I stay away from TikTok. Uh, but yeah, just just Google Mr. Badger. You'll see him on your things. Google Donald Mackerel. I'm usually emceeing loads of different events as Donald. The Penguin. I've doled back on since I did Britain's Got Talent and they refused to show it because I upset some people. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. They're, they're not as as nice as they appear to be and I let them know as the Penguin and I've since been told I'll never be working on TV with that character. So, wow. um, but yeah, the Penguin might might be out there. Perhaps don't search for him. Search for Mr. Badger and Donald Mackerel. I'd love to see how they would respond to him on Britain's Got Talent or Mr. Uh, Badger. Oh, well, th th there is a story about that where Mr. Badger, um, so I t I, you must have been approached by a researcher from Britain's Got Talent. I got approached by a re researcher for another programme, but I can't remember what it is. Oh, because as we all know, researchers are not researchers, because if they did any research, they'd know that we're not suitable for their programmes. But um, I had a researcher from Britain's Got Talent get in touch with my Mr. Badger account and say, we think you'd be ideal for Mr. Badger. David Walliams has already earmarked you as a favourite, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, you've never seen a Miss... My opening joke is about a dying child. That's really not going to go down too well on primetime ITV. So I was like, just ignore it. And then he emailed me again like two weeks later going, hi, have you thought about our proposal, blah, 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 blah. We think you'd be a fantastic applicant. And I said, look, I don't consider myself a family act or Mr. Badger a family act. I've got two other acts that maybe could work, but really Mr. Badger is not suitable for Britain's Got Talent. No, 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 we think it'd work. We think it'd be absolutely fantastic. We've seen your videos and we know that the crowd would love them. I said, well, the only videos that I allow to go online are those uh, hot water videos from when I first started. And I've toned down my act since then because it was completely vile. Um, so I was like, there's no way they've seen those videos and said that this is suitable for Britain's Got Talent. But I said, like, look, if you really, really are desperate to get me on, um, yeah, we can do like a little bit of pre-shooting and everything, uh, but you'll have to come to Shropshire to, 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 to film me. And so, no, 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 you'll have to go to London. And I said, well, if that's the case, I'm not interested. And they said, oh, well, we're in Manchester next week. You can come to Manchester. I was like, no, Manchester is like an hour and a quarter away. I'm not doing that. You can come to Shropshire. And they said, all right, well, we can get to Shrewsbury if that's any good for you, which is like not far from me. I said, no, no, you need to come to where I live. There's a pub. It's got a back room. We'll film in there. And they drove all the way from London to this little tiny pub in the middle of nowhere, uh, set up all their cameras and everything. And I put my Mr. Badger outfit on. I thought, fuck it. And within 20 seconds, you could see them just going, no, this is completely unsuitable. I was like, well, at least you've wasted your time and not mine. Fuck you. <laughs> but then the idiots waited a year, got back in touch and said, ha, oh, we'd love to see the penguin on Britain's Got Talent. We think it'd be fantastic. I was like, I, I do dad jokes as the penguin, but again, I really don't think it's a concept that your audience would understand. No, 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 it's fantastic. It's fantastic. COVID hit, so it got cancelled. And I thought, well, that's the end of it. Two years later, oh, we genuinely, we're still interested in seeing the penguin. Please, please, please say you'll do it. 
And when I got there, I, so I, you have to send all your jokes in in advance. Um, you have to sort of say like, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing. You get given three to five minutes on stage. So I sent them five minutes worth of material. It was all my cleanest stuff. Uh, it all got okay. They're like, yeah, that's all fantastic. You know, that's absolutely brilliant. We'll see you on stage, blah, 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 blah. A couple of months go by. I'm taking the train to London. And as I'm on the train, I receive a message that just says, oh, we've reviewed your material. And sadly, some of it's not suitable. So you just need to change a few of the jokes. And they annexed about 80% of my jokes. So, yeah, I was like, you've, you've left me with just over a minute of material. This this is absolute dog shit. What the fuck am I supposed to do with this? And the guy just said, oh, just write some new jokes while you're on the train. So I was like, oh, yeah, nice and easy. Don't worry about it. So anyway, I, I, I think, oh, fuck it. And I delve through my old banks of, like, jokes that weren't quite good enough to do on stage. And I thought, well, maybe that'll do. And that's really cheesy. And that'll do, blah, blah, blah. Stuck it all in there. Sent it back through to him. Uh, he said, yeah, that'll be fine. I get to the theatre, uh, and I know I was going to be there for a long time because you've got to be there at, like, 9 in the morning, uh, but you might not be on stage until 6 in the afternoon, 8 in the uh, in the evening or whatever. Um, and uh, literally, they'd had all that time with my new new jokes to go through. Just as I was going on stage, a runner said, oh, sorry, just to let you know, uh, you, you can't do this bit and you can't do that bit and you can't do this bit. So, oh, fuck this. So I just went on stage and did some of my safer stuff with some of the darker stuff thrown in. As soon as I did one, not even swearing, not even too dark, one nasty-ish joke, again, four buzzers. You could see it was all sort of pre-planned as well. They wanted me to look like a moron on stage, one of the ones that people point at and laugh and go, ha, 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 this guy thinks he's a comedian. Uh and I just sort of told them, I said, like, look, you know, the, the reason why this hasn't gone very well is your researchers have told me at the last minute to completely change my act to suit your audience. Uh, that's not what I do. I'm a weekend club comedian. I deal with adults. Uh, I'm not here to deal with children. And Simon Cowell, after calling me fucking shit on a microphone in front of children, then said, well, just do your normal act then. I said, I'm not going to do jokes about, like, death and paedophilia and all sorts of nasty shit while there's little children in the crowd to which he said i don't care you're here to make me laugh not them uh, it's like, well fuck what a fucking situation so i laid into all the judges called them all pricks um yeah got sort of escorted out the building and uh, then i did have a mental health person ring me up afterwards and go like oh we understand you had a bit of a bad experience on britain's got talent just wondering uh, are you feeling okay I was like, yeah i'm feeling great actually <laughs> it's something i've wanted to do for a long time so yeah Na nasty nasty it is a bit dodgy what goes on on tv because i know that there was a lady on x factor who got they do that a lot don't they because they want to put on a show like love island as well they do a lot of fixing around because they don't care about the people they want to put on a show that entertains. That's their main yeah. focus. Yeah. Well, there's, um again, I'm not going to name her name. There's a comedian that went on Britain's Got Talent just before the COVID thing, when the Penguin was meant to be going on. Um, she went on Britain's Got Talent. Uh, they, she she admitted, she said, I didn't do the best. You know, it wasn't sort of like a an absolute death. Maybe a three out of 10, four out of 10 gig. And said, but I was very polite. You know, I wished everybody well. I said, thank you very much. They said, oh, we'll be in touch. You know, don't worry. Uh, just sign these waivers. You'll be on the TV, whatever. They completely edited her set. They took out 
any form of laughter and just made it look like she was dying on her ass. They clipped it all together so the jokes didn't make sense and her impersonations just looked weird. Uh, and also, she had to sign over all of her social media accounts to the to whoever it is at, at their team, and they deleted loads of her posts. Uh, they deleted friends. They deleted anything that they thought might be harmful to their what what they wanted the public to perceive her to be. So they deleted shitloads of stuff. They posted stuff as well, made a look an absolute moron, and then they just ran like a hate campaign about her in all the papers and basically nearly destroyed her career, made her look like an absolute fuckwit. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not really a fan of the, the reality TV machine. It was. And I think, should we, should we keep this in or should we take this away? Keep it in. Okay. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> it was. We'll keep it in. All right, Simon, here's the handshake. <laughs> now, Simon, you're a prick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you know where to go. Britain's Got Talent, be very prepared. Um, you know where to know about Donald. And guys, I'll see you in the next episode. I'm going to hopefully talk to Wilson Milton on Tuesday. Oh. The episode up. And also, I may talk to Alvin Liu, a Chinese comedian that's moved into the UK. But let's see what happens, guys. I'll see you soon. Definitely. Wilson Milton, quality. See you, dude.